0: This this morning comes from Genesis chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 16 this morning. I, I know the verses on the, the screen will start in 17. We'll catch up. We'll be in Genesis 4 starting in verse 16. We'll let you know that I think you'll find uh, following these sermons, uh, having a scripture in your lap will be very helpful for you. So we're just going to work as we do every Sunday verse by verse through the text. And I think you'll be able to engage much more with God's Word if you have the Scripture there in front of you. So we'll begin in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 16. Hear now the Word of God. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Muhujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of all those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the wire and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the, the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived, after he fathered Lamech, 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Jacob. Now, Father, we thank you for this time to come and hear from you and your word. Father, uh, we approach a text that is often not considered by your people. I trust you have put it in your scripture for our good and for your glory. And so will you come now and help us to hear it, help us to know you through it, that we may follow you and love you and worship you with greater fervency and joy in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1844, there was a great leap forward in human ingenuity when Samuel Morse sent the first long-distance telegraph from Washington to Baltimore. Afterwards, he was interviewed and was asked, Professor Morse, when you were making your experiments, did you ever come to a place of not knowing what to do next? Professor Morse responded, saying, more than once. And whenever I could not see my way clearly, I knelt down and prayed to God for light and understanding. He went on and said, When the flattering honors came to me from America and Europe on account of the invention which bears my name, I never felt I deserved them. I had made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but because solely God who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone, and he was pleased to reveal it to me. The first telegraph that was sent, by the way, the message was, what has God created? God, I think, continues to create. God continues to do great work. We see work that He's done here in Genesis 4. We can look around in our society and culture, and I trust we see the hand of God working in many places. And today, what I would like to do as we look upon this passage is to consider the, the great advances that society has uh, uh, um, occurred in, in their realm, in their culture, even in a sinful world. In fact, Genesis chapter 4 and chapter 5, which we shall study this morning, is interesting because it's really kind of uh, 1,600 years of life in sin. I think there's great parallels there for us. If you've been worshiping with us for some time, you know we've been working our way through Genesis. And we saw in Genesis chapter 1 that God created a world, that He is a creator. And upon that world, He created mankind in His image. And the world was good. And He gave mankind authority over all of creation, dominion, and and gave them this great and wonderful world in which He provided for them. In Genesis chapter 2, we saw our first parents, Adam and Eve, who again, God abundantly provided for. And yet in Genesis 3, we come to perhaps the saddest chapter in all of Scripture. When our parents decided that they'd rather follow the devil than God, they said, we do not love you, God, we do not trust you, and we will not submit to you, we will join with the devil. They sinned. They rebelled. And now we've been studying in Genesis the consequence of that rebellion. We saw sin begin to mature in their children as Cain rose up and slew Abel, as we considered yesterday. And today we come to a text where we see sin abounding more and more We're going to see what life is like in a sinful world. We're going to do so by following two families, the the first being Cain's family. We will follow his descendants from chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And you say, okay, we're going to look at Cain's family. What we would expect is for sin to flourish in Cain's family. And we're going to see that, but we're actually going to see something that you might not expect from Cain's line. And we're going to see the massive blessings of God through Cain's children. Now this is a family we'll get to in Genesis 6 that God will wipe off the face of the earth. It's a doomed lineage and yet God still blesses through them. God gives them the ability to create great works of art and tools as well as we see them plunging in sin, distorting marriage and even murder. The other family we'll see is Seth's family, the third son of Adam and Eve. And we're going to follow their line. Their line's going to begin in chapter 4, verse 25, Seth's line. And Seth's line is going to continue. And it's going to go all the way through Genesis 5 until we get to Noah. And then as we read Scripture, if you will, at your leisure, you will find this line continues on to this man named Abraham. And then the line continues on to another man named David. And eventually this line brings us right to Jesus. The whole of Scripture is going to follow Seth's line to bring us to the promised serpent slayer that was promised to Eve in Genesis 3 and verse 15. God will be faithful in preserving a line for himself. We'll see that this line keep going. In fact, we're all descendants from Seth. So we look in Genesis 5, and it's interesting because we have all these generations. By the way, these are all your granddaddies. You come from them. I don't know if anybody's big into ancestry with a family tree and all that. Well, I'm going to fill in the top of your tree this morning. Right? You are all, we are all descended. These are all our relatives that we consider this morning. And I know I read through this very long Genesis chapter 5, this genealogy here. And for some of you, there's probably a little fear in your heart. You're maybe thinking, he's not going to preach a genealogy, is he? It's like preaching through a phone book. And so let me tell you this morning, I absolutely am. Uh, I have every intention to. Anyone can preach Genesis 1, Genesis 2. You're going to see what you're paying for this morning, working through (laughs) Genesis chapter 5. And so it will be a great delight for us, I trust, as we look at living in a sinful world. We see five realities in this text. In a sinful world, God blesses, sin grows, some worship, all die, and hope endures. And we remember that Genesis is not simply a book about what happened, but it is a book about what happens. And I trust God will help us this morning. So first of all, we see that God blesses in a sinful world. We see in verse 16, as we considered last week, that Cain is sent away from God. He is banished to the land of Nod. He says, get out of here, Cain. You'll never see me again. You'll never see your parents again. You'll never see your family again. And off Cain goes, east of Eden. But then verse 17 tells us something amazing, I think. We see Cain knew his wife. What does Cain get? He gets a wife. And just stuff right there, is that not extraordinary? This man who's a murderer, who who by all accounts deserves to be executed, is immediately, once he's banished from God, blessed by God. He gets to marry. And now I know many people are wondering who Cain marries, and so I will save me the emails this week, and I will just tell you that he marries his sister. And there seems to be no other option. I think we are left to conclude that. And yes, that's gross. We all agree. That's weird. Um... But that's, what, that's pretty much what the options are out there. We know, of course, Abraham will marry his half-sister, Sarah. And then we know when we get to Moses, God will, will outlaw marrying a sibling. And we all say, Amen. Right? That's an easy command to obey, isn't it? Um, do not marry your sister. But here, Cain marries his sister. And what does he get after he marries? Well, you see this in verse 17. And she conceived and bore Enoch. He gets a son. God gives him a child. Is that not God's goodness to him? God's blessing to him? God says to this murderer, no one's going to kill you. I'm going to protect you. Here's a wife. Here's a child. And so I ask you this morning, is God good? He is good even to those who live in sin. This man does not deserve any of this. And God gives it to him anyways. He gives him a child named Enoch. And we know, of course, that children are a blessing. And he is richly blessed. We read on in verse 17. He says, when he built a city, he called the name of the city after his son Enoch. And so Cain goes and constructs a city. And then on in verse 18, we see he not only gets a son, but he gets descendants. For we read to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. We see that his line abounds and that there are children given to him and grandchildren given to him. For God said in Genesis 1 that we are to be fruitful and multiply. And just because we have brought sin to the world, God has not abandoned his plan. He will spread his image bearers around this world. And as we see in Genesis 5, you already noted perhaps that they live a long time. Adam lives 930 years. You live 930 years, you could have a lot of kids. And so population is going to spread rather rapidly. In fact, I read one account that said, uh, estimated that, During the life of Adam, if half the children that would normally be born grew up, and if only half of those who grew up got married, and if only half of those who got married had children, then even at the half, half, half rate, Adam would have lived to see more than one million of his own descendants, which is a lot of birthdays to remember. And so we see this great populace, great blessing upon them. You see, in the midst of this sin... This rebellious world, God blesses, families grow, population abounds, cities and communities are being constructed and we don't stop there for we even see that God gifts them with advances in that society. Note verse 19, and Lama took two wives, the name of one was Ada and the other was Zillah, we'll return to him in a moment. Ada bore J- Jabal, who was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naaman. You see, immediately what we see here is that God has created man in his own image. And therefore, I think man, just as God has created him, man has the ability to create himself. He has ability to discover and to advance civilizations. And we have here in just a couple of verses what seems to be this, this age of discovery, this, this advance in technology and arts and animal husbandry. Now, you are led to believe that our great and old ancestors were lived in caves, and they dragged their wives around by their hair and carried a club and drooled on themselves and stuck their finger in their ear. But I'm telling you, friends, it's not what Scripture teaches us. These individuals are geniuses. They are inventing whole new areas of technology and advance. We, we see that there are three sons, Jabal, a rancher, Jubal, a musician, Tubal Cain, who works with tools, who invented tools. So I find this interesting. It tells me how honest the Bible is because remember, these are Cain's descendants. And if you and I were were writing, okay, I'm going to tell you about Cain and all his children, we may be inclined to say, well, they're a bunch of drunks and cheats and murderers and you don't want them living as your neighbors. And yet what God tells us is no. God gave them great ability to advance the culture that this Cainite civilization brought forth, these great blessings. Do you like music? Do you like singing? Well, you have Jubal to thank. The first musician. Do you like tools? Hammers, screwdrivers, power drills. Well, you have Tubal Cain to thank. He opened the first Home Depot. Do you like meat? You have Jabel to thank, the first rancher. And I want you to see that it's in the midst of this, this sinful world that God continues to pour out blessings. Theologians call this common grace. That grace is given for the common good. Now, I'm with Samuel Morse. I believe that the skills we have and the inventions we bring and the advances we, we take are all God's gifts to us. They are from God. And we see that clearly here. How then should you respond to these advances in technology? How should you respond to these blessings when you have a family and you have children and you have grandchildren and and you have a cell phone and a car and enjoy anesthesia and all the wonderful blessings in which God has given us? I think you would do right to thank him and to praise him. This all comes from the hand of God. See, even in the sinful world, God blesses. But alongside these cultural advances, we also see a growth in sin. In fact, we see it in this man, Lamech, who's the representative of his day. So secondly, consider that in a sinful world, sin grows. We saw him in verse 19. You notice that Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada and the name of other was Zillah. So here's a, a bigamist. He is practicing polygamy. He would be the first individual to challenge God's plan for marriage. He says, I'm going to redefine marriage. I'm going to stand up for marriage equality. And if two women want to marry one man, who who is anyone to tell us otherwise? He married two women. The first woman's name was Ada. The other was Zilla. I don't know if that means he has women covered from A to Z. (laughs) But he certainly has a way with them. Polygamy, just for clarity, is not a good idea, and it is not sanctioned by the Bible. It is clear to me that it is sin. The Bible shows us a man who's alone in Genesis chapter 2. God's solution for that was to create for him one wife. We see in the pastoral epistles of First Timothy and the book of Titus that an elder or a deacon is to be the husband of one wife, giving us a pattern for the church. Plus, we also see in Scripture that polygamy never works out. You'd show me a, a, you would search in vain, by the way, for a happy polygamous family. You can look at Abraham and that did not work out with his two wives. You can look at Jacob and it did not work out with his four. You look at David, it did not work out. And Solomon, it certainly led to his ruin. And so we see sin growing with this man Lamech. This practice of bigamy, but that's not all. For you notice verse 23, Lamech has a song for us. The Bible tells us, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And so in addition to his bigamy we see his brutality he has killed someone for injuring him not not in self-defense like I have to protect myself but someone insulted him or injured him and so he kills him in fact he's not even a man for he says he's a young man the literal Hebrew is that he was a child he's not going to hesitate to kill child if such a child would injure him someone hurts me then I'm going to kill him Lamech says you cut me off in the road and I'm going to tear your head off he says you see, this is a man that tends to overact, quick temper, a little bit of road rage. Perhaps there's some Lamech in some people who are quick to anger. We see the brutality in him. But not. don't notice that he's not only brutal, but he's boasting in it, isn't he? He's singing a song about his brutality. So we have a bigamist, we have brutality, we have boasting. He even gathers his wives together and says, let me sing you a song about how tough I am, how strong I am. You don't even notice how he addresses them. Hear my voice, wives of Lamech. I have never once in my life said that to my wife. Hear my voice, wife of uh, Stephen. This man, there's something screwy going on in his head, as you clearly see. I appreciate one commentator who says, The picture darkens here. I see Lamech naked or in a loincloth, sword in hand, strutting before his wives and thumping his bare chest as he shouts his savage song. Rather than shame, this man wears violence as a badge of courage. So we see sin is growing, isn't it? Adam and Eve were deceived into sin. Cain succumbed to sin. And now we have Lamech boasting in it, exalting in it. Well, to make matters worse, we see that according to verse 24, he also commits the sin of blasphemy. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech seems, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. You see, he's not simply just boasting over men, but he's boasting over God. For you remember... When God banished Cain, Cain said, wait a second, they're going to kill me once I'm out of here. And God said, no, not so. He says, whoever kills Cain will have vengeance sevenfold upon him. And now we get to Lamech, and Lamech says, well, you think God is bad? You think God is tough? You think God's revenge sevenfold is bad? Well, my revenge is seventy-sevenfold. I tell you, God is a whip compared to me. He exalts. He's taunting God. I think he is very much the representative of his age, a tyrant who will marry whomever he wants and kill whomever he wants. And he's going to boast about it and all the while blaspheme God in the process. I don't know about you, friends, but this kind of sounds familiar. This kind of sounds familiar to me. You see, this is a land of prosperity. Prosperity of wealth, of advancing technology, of advancing economy, and at the same time there is no knowledge of God. There is an abandonment of Him. And I think about our land, this is the place we live, this, this amazing rate of technology. You think about the last hundred years, the creation of the automobile and the highways and manned flight and space flight and, and the radio and television and microwaves and computer and the internet and cell phones and modern medicine, all within the last hundred years. You think about the, the great manifold blessings God has bestowed upon us. And all at the same time, it seems like we move farther and farther away from God more and more into sin. as we live in a day of new morality, a day in which we decide what is right. In fact, we look at Lamech and we say, this guy's a pervert. This guy's... There's something wrong with him. But I will tell you, you know, Lamech who wanted to be intimate with a woman actually put a ring on her finger and invited her to live under his roof and put food on her table. He actually married the women that he wanted to be with. I wish we can say that about our land. In fact, you, you think he, he only limited himself to two. That seems awfully Puritan in American culture. And by the way, he kills in response to those who injure him. Evidently, in our land, we kill those simply because we're bored, as we saw this week in Oklahoma. And he may have boasted about his sin, but we've taken that to an art form, haven't we? We have flaunted openly on television. We have even have parades in our main streets in honor of... Sin and rebellion. I think if Lamech were alive today, he would look at America and say, "You guys are sick. You guys are you guys are sinful." I think there's a lot of parallels here. He's not godly. Don't get me wrong, but we've come a long way from his place. And so, how do we deal with sin? If sin is going to grow in a sinful world, how then do we treat it? Well, Lamech gives us one suggestion: you do so with vengeance. Someone sins against you, responds sevenfold, or seventy-sevenfold. It reminds me of another occasion in which Peter asked Jesus, Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? And I wonder if Jesus had Lamic in mind when he says, no, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times. And so let me tell you, Christian, when you are confronted with sin, when people are beginning to destroy the country that you hold so dear, or people are assaulting you, or coming against you, the appropriate response is not law mix to come with vengeance and justice, but it is to respond by sharing the grace in which you have received so freely. It is the proper response is to take the grace in which God has given us the mercy and forgiveness and be willing it to bestow upon those who we would call our enemies. That's what Christ calls us to do, an avalanche of mercy, as you have received. Well, we not only see that sin grows in a sinful world, we see also that some worship. And so we move our attention from Cain's line and we go down to Seth's line. We see this in verse 25. And Adam knew his wife, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed me for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And so she gets another child. Now, you remember when, when Eve had Cain, back in verse 1 of chapter 4, remember she said, um, I have gotten uh, the man the Lord. That she thought... That Cain was the promised serpent slayer from Genesis 3.15 That that She thought that Cain was the Savior And it obviously did not turn out that way As we saw last week And so you think, okay, well I put all my faith in this son Cain And he actually ended up destroying my family and murdering my, my other son You think maybe she would grow a little disillusioned, a little bit bitter You think she would say, well if that's the way you're going to treat me God Then I'm out of this, I'm not following you anymore at all but what astonishes me is about our mother Eve's faith here. When she, She's not bitter or disillusioned at all, but she is saying, God has appointed, God has given me another child in place of Abel. In fact, Seth means substitute or, or appointed for Cain. She has faith. She trusts God. She continues to place her faith in God. And not only Eve, but you notice that, that many people begin to place their faith in God in this time. For we read verse 26... The Bible tells us, to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And note this, one of the greatest verses in the book of Genesis, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now interesting, this is all we'll really hear about, the contributions of the Seth's, Seth's lineage. We read Cain's lineage and we see all these incredible things that are doing, and we don't hear of any inventions that Seth's kids do. All we hear is that they worship God. And they began to call upon the name of the Lord. A people did. This is perhaps the first picture of corporate worship outside a a family. It's people gathering together to worship God. This is what God's people do. It's what we've been doing from the very beginning. In fact, you notice at what time some begin to worship. You see that at the, there, verse twenty-six. At that time, it's at that time when when people were full of vengeance and blasphemous and brutal men killing others unjustly when perversion and promiscuity abounded and marriages were destroyed and when cities and technology was advancing and the the culture was going forth and the economy was humming along in that day when when life was sick and perverted and self-absorbed and people were thinking only of themselves it was in that day when people began to do what no one else expected they began to call upon God's name they began to worship Him I wonder if they looked at all the money they had and all the advance they had and and, and all the toys they had and, and all the new morality that they've embraced. And I wonder if they thought, it's not working. Life's not getting better. We're not going anywhere. We're just plunging farther into rebellion. And I wonder if they begin to say, God, we need your help. We can't do this on our own. Save us. And these people began to call upon His name. And you know what, God? God sent revival in that day. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't want to... Uh, you know, I, I look at the land in where we live, and, and I, know, I know we live in the United States of America, but you know, I, I look at this passage, and I, I feel like we live in Nod. I feel like this is the United States of Nod, sometimes. Advances in both sin and blessings. And I feel like we as a society, and I don't know if you agree with me, but I feel like we're going a thousand miles an hour away from God. We're just running from Him as fast as we can. We're creating new ways of rebelling against Him. And maybe it will be at that time, at that time, when America lost its way, that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, God always has a remnant, doesn't He? He always, always has His people who will not bow their knee to the idols of this world. Maybe said of Hamilton Baptist Church that at that time, when America had lost its way, it was at that time that those people began to call upon God's name, You see, friends, the solution is not the Supreme Court. It is not a new president. It is not education. It is not even church programs. It is God. He is our only hope. He is your only hope. May we devote ourselves to Him. May we believe that when we give everything to Him. May we call upon His name. You see, some will worship in a sinful world. But we see fourthly, as we move into Genesis chapter 5, that all die in a sinful world. You you notice here in verse 3 of Genesis 5, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. That's all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died and when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years. And he died. And then we go on to Kenan, and we read, And he died, and Mahalalel, and he died, and Jared, and he died, and Methuselah, and he died, and Lamech, and he died. In fact, all we read about these guys in these 12 generations is really they were born, they had children, and they died. And then we get the ages at which these things take place. It reminds, uh, reminds me, at least, that, that these guys aren't very important. That you, prob- you and I, to be honest, aren't very important. We, we tend to make the newspaper twice, don't we? When we're born and when we die. In the middle, we have kids. And our kids grow up, and, and they're, they're, they have kids, and, and then they die. And it just seems like that's what God is telling us. There's this, there's this reign of death. And you read this chapter, and it's almost like the funeral bell is ringing, and he died and he died, and he died. It's like walking through a cemetery and just reading headstone after headstone. They all, they all died. And not like Abel who was killed. They just one day got sick and died. I, I wonder what that must have been like, the first natural death, if you will, the first person who just one day didn't get up who, who died. This is what God promised would happen, of course. You remember back in Genesis 2. When you eat of it, you will die. The serpent said, you will not surely die. But we see that God is true. Of course, they live long lives, you notice. And ch- just to uh, save, save you another email, why, you wonder, okay, why, why do they live so long? Um, and my answer is, I don't know. Um, there, I, I've heard the theories, and some, there's a lot of theories. A lot of people think they know, um, uh, but I don't know wh- why they live. I think the world before the flood was a vastly different place. And evidently they are living ten lifetimes or, or even more. But the point, I don't think from this passage is how long they lived. The point is that they, at one point, stopped living because they all died. In fact, I think we're told why they die in some sense. You look at verse 1 of Genesis 5, and it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in his likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them man when they were created. So we see that man is created in God's likeness. But you notice, interestingly, in verse 3, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son, note this phrase, in his own likeness. You see, God creates Adam, and Adam is like God, but then Adam has Seth, and Seth is like Adam. Of course, Seth is also like God. He's created in God's image. Don't misunderstand me. But the point that I think the Bible is, is driving home is that, that, that Seth is just like his dad. He's inherited Adam's likeness, and like his father, Seth is a sinner. And so is his son, and so is his son, and so is his son. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. You see, they die because they are sinners. The wages of death is sin. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that we don't hear of any death amongst the Canaanites? Those who we think have abandoned God. It's those who are calling upon God's name that we are told very specifically that they die. Everyone will die. All of us. It's universal. Of course, we we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to be reminded of death, especially our own. I heard that there is a hospital in our land that refers to death as, quote, negative patient care outcome. I've uh, many times, uh, more times than I want to count, have been to a hospital room. When someone is dying, and I met outside that room by their family, well-intentioned, and they say to me, Pastor, please don't talk to them about death. And that's exactly why I'm there, is to talk to them about death. But they don't even want them to know that they're dying. They don't want them to have those last hours to face what is about to come upon them. I've done dozens of funerals, and I have never once seen the coffin actually lowered into the ground like they used to. We don't like to face death. We don't like to deal with it. Centuries ago, the great uh, scholars and theologians and even pastors would would have a human skull on their desk. And it was a reminder that like that victim, they too will one die. Now, don't worry, I'm not planning on getting one. Um, They called it a memento mori, a reminder of death. You see, Genesis 5 is a memento mori. It is a reminder of death. It is a reminder that everyone dies, that, that death wins. And so we've been advancing for thousands of years, haven't we? And you think about the, all the advances we make, and we keep making advances, and we keep growing as a civilization. And you know the one thing we have not been able to stop, the one thing that we have not been able to overcome is death. It is still everyone who dies. We haven't got to the point where we said, okay, we've beat it. Now death no longer has a hold on us because God has promised that the wages of sin is death. Every one of us will die. You will die and I will die if the Lord does not come. But there is amazingly, in this chapter, perhaps you picked it up when we read through it, one man who beats death. One man who overcomes it. There's Walking through the cemetery of Genesis 5, there's like an open grave that was never filled. And on the headstone we read the name Enoch. As we see lastly, hope endures in a sinful world. Look down in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And so we're reading through Genesis 5 and it was they live, they die, they live, they die, they live, they die, they live, they die. die. Enoch walked with God and he was no more. God took him. In fact, twice it says he walked with God. Verse 22 and verse 24, I think it is a picture of intimacy with God. When you walk with someone, there's a fellowship there, isn't it? A lot of times the Bible says this guy walked before God. That's a reference to their righteousness and their obedience. But when it says they walked with God, it's a reference to the intimacy that they have with Him. The trust that they placed with Him. The fellowship that they enjoyed with Him. In fact, we learn a great deal about Enoch in the New Testament. For instance, in Hebrews 11.5 it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Enoch walked by faith with God. He trusted in God. That's the, the start of his walk with God. I trust you God. I want to follow you God. And he not only trusted in God, but the book of Jude tells us that Enoch was a prophet, that he prophesied. In fact, in Jude 14 it says it was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Now that's interesting that Jude says Enoch's the seventh from Adam. Because you know who else is the seventh from Adam? Lamech. Remember Lamech? He's also seventh from Adam. And then we also get Enoch, same generation as, uh, uh, as Lamech. And so it's in that time, the seventh from Adam, that Jude says, Enoch prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. I'd like to hear that sermon. That's not the kind of sermon you hear on television these days. His therapy that is passed for preaching. that Enoch stood up and said, I want you to understand there's a holy God. And one day he shall come with judgment. He shall come to execute his wrath. That's what he preached. I wonder what he would think about our day. What our brother would say. You see, he not only walked with God, he trusted God, he proclaimed God's truth. You notice how long he did it for. Verse 22, Enoch walked with God. This is interesting to me. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years. So he walked with God 300 years. It's not a stroll. It's not a sprint. It is a lifetime of devotion. In fact, four or five lifetimes perhaps. But do you notice what happened in Enoch's life in order to get him to start to walk with God? It was it was after he had his son, Methuselah. You see that? For 65 years, Enoch's not walking with God. He has a boy. And there's something about his son's cry. It's something about holding that son in his arms that he says, I need to get my life in order. Because that boy is going to follow me where I lead him. He's going to follow his dad. And so Enoch began to walk with God at that time. At age 65. You know, the best thing you could do for your children is not to give them the best education or the best sports or teach them manners or how to drive a car. The best thing you could do for your kids is to walk with God. And let them follow you. Enoch walked with God. And verse 24 says and then he was not he's gone one day. He's moving on up. Enoch has gone to be with God. In fact, Hebrews says by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found. In other words, people went looking for him. I wonder what that day would have been like where you go looking for your husband or your dad or your brother and he is nowhere to be found. Adam died, Seth died, and Enoch was taken to God. And I think what God is doing as we end our time this morning is that He was showing us His intention to overthrow death. There's a glimpse of it. That there is a way to defeat death. We see you live, you die, you live, you die, you live, you die, or you walk with God and you go to heaven. There's a way to beat death. Not that you and I won't die, but we will go through death into God's presence if we walk with God. And so my question for you this morning is, do you walk with God? Are are you walking with God? I'm not so interested to know if you one day used to walk with God, or if you did this or that. I want to know today, do you walk with God? I I love this picture. I love the intimacy that it is. I, I think of my children walking with their daddy and, You've experienced that when your child reaches up and grabs your hand, and it's a joy that comes when they place their trust in you by doing that. And some months ago, we took our kids to swim lessons, and, and I was taking a couple to, to one pool, and Allegra was taking another couple to another pool. And I, I don't know where the other ones were. Hopefully someone had them, but we were, <laughs> we, we, were, we were walking. I remember taking my kids to the pool for the first time, first swimming lessons they ever done. We get out of the car, and we're walking to the pool, and there's other kids there. And there's a big pool there. And almost instinctively, um, I, I felt a little hand in this hand and all of a sudden another little hand in this hand. Um, and they didn't know, but Daddy was wearing a big smile. Because you know what they're saying? They said, Daddy, we trust you. We're, we're a little bit scared, a little bit nervous, but we'll go where you lead us. You just lead us. You just don't leave us. You protect us and we'll follow. We'll do what you say that we are to do. We will go with you, but we just need your help. You see, that's the picture of walking with God. It is taking the hand of your God like a child takes the hand of a father and say, I will go where you send me. I will do what you want me to do. I will follow wherever you lead as long as you are with me. That's what Enoch did. Is that what you do? You walk with God. I'm not asking you, do you believe a certain set of facts? Of course, we have to believe a certain set of facts. We have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave. That's the only way that we can beat death is by believing that. But it's more than that. It is is acting on those and saying, I trust you, God, because we're going to die, all of us. But if we walk with God, the Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In fact, you notice that Enoch had a son. Isn't this interesting? He named him Methuselah. Methuselah literally means, when he is dead, it will come. You thought I'd name my children weird names. <laughs> when he is dead, it will come. Well, what will come? Well, interestingly enough, the year after Methuselah died, the flood came. See, Enoch was a prophet. Remember his sermon? Preaching about God will come with judgment. He even named his son this, this warning that when my son dies, judgment is going to come. Now, here's the cool thing. How long did Methuselah live? Longer than any other person in the world. God says, I, when this boy's dead, I will come with judgment against unrepented sin. And then in great grace, gave him more years than any other man. In order to extend our opportunity to repent, for God is patient towards you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So have you repented? Have you bowed your knee to Jesus? Do you walk with God? Years ago, there was a a merchant by the name of Henry Goodyear. He didn't walk with God. In fact, he, he didn't ha- have any time for God. He scoffed God. He would have read these passages and, and ridiculed them, mocked them. But one, one day, in order to appease his niece, he, he went to church with her. Just this one time. She's been after him for quite some time. He says, okay, I'll go to church. And you can imagine the niece's um, disappointment when her preacher stood in the pulpit and he opened the Bible to Genesis chapter 5. And he preached this genealogy that Sunday. And she began to think, why, of all the days in which my uncle would come to church, the pastor is going to preach this genealogy. But little did she know that when they left and they were walking home at every step of Henry Goodyear, he heard that refrain, and he died, and he died, and he died. The next day he couldn't work. He was too distracted by those three words. He came home and opened his family Bible, and he read Genesis 5. He turned right there. He read this, this roll call of a, of a cemetery. And he read those words, and he died, and he died, and he died. And this man, for the first time, realized he is not prepared to die. That was the day that Henry Goodyear became your brother in Christ as he bowed his knee to Jesus. And he began to walk with God. Perhaps God would do that in your life today. Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather together with your people to consider Your Word. I thank You, Father, that though we live in a sinful land and there's evidence all abound, You are good and gracious and patient and continue to bestow upon us blessing even though we continue to invent new ways of sin and rebellion. We thank You for all Your goodness to us. We thank You for our families and our children and our brothers and sisters in Christ and all that You have given to us. We thank you for this, this very sober passage this morning. A gracious, I think, warning to those who are not ready to die. There may be some here who are thinking, I'm just going to get into heaven based upon my own merit and my own good works and my own righteousness. And your word tells us over and over and over again, that will not suffice. We must have Christ's works. And so perhaps you would give one faith to bow their knee to you today and say, okay, God, I've lived this long. I want to walk with you now. I'm taking your hand and I will go where you lead me. I trust you. I bow my knee to you and place my faith in you. For all the rest of us, Father, will you help us to live in this sinful world well? I'm afraid so often, Father, your church, your people get distracted and we begin to look at those who would sin around us and we would treat our enemies with with, with hate and scorn. And we see that Christ would never do that. That He would love His enemies and He has called us to do the same. And so as His world goes a thousand miles an hour into sin, may we continue to walk with You and at the same time love those who would not. Share the grace of God with them that we have received. Will You help us to be those people? Will You help this to be a place? Of people who trust not in the things of this world, but trust in you, of people who call upon you. Do that work in us, we pray, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we join.